Well, we have had the opportunity to, um, once again, at Safe Haven Church, not be consumed with entertainment. We're not here to be entertained. Um, we're here to Sabbath, to take a moment and rest in who Christ is. And so we've had an opportunity to do that through several means already, through handshakes and hugs and donuts and coffee as you came in. Um, through a season time of carved out prayer to be the house of prayer. And I know every time we have a carved out moment of prayer, some of you are like, what are we doing? That's like what church is about, right? So that carved out time of prayer, we've worshiped through that. Now we've worshiped through words and song. We've uh, met with the Lord and, and bathed ourselves in the gospel in many ways. And now we come to do that through the word. So if you will, let's ask the Lord to take the word and to bathe us still more in the gospel. So let's, let's ask the Lord to honor his word. Lord Jesus, my prayer is that we'll be so saturated with the gospel in this place through word and through song and all that kind of stuff that we'll smell like the gospel when we walk out of here. And that, God, it'll be in our clothes. So, Jesus, as we dive into the text here in just a second, um, Lord, I pray that we smell like you even more, and the word just kind of pops off the page and dives in to our souls. Um, so, Lord Jesus, as we proclaim your greatness and your excellencies, um, I, I pray that you will mold us, and don't leave us like we were when we came in this place. God, change us. Make us something different when we walk out. Um, Jesus, we pray this in your name, and we Sabbath in you for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, keep standing for just a moment in honor of God's word. Um, here is our word for the day. We're in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. The two Tylers have uh, carried us on into Matthew the past couple of weeks. They did a great job, uh, didn't they? And um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so... We find ourselves in this section today. So it's a short text, so let's read it aloud together. Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 18. Read along with me out loud. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Be seated. <clears throat> well, here's where we're at in, in this text in our journey. So if you are a guest with us, we always like to mention this ahead of time just so that you don't think we picked this randomly out. Um, we journey straight through books of the Bible, so this is where we find ourselves so next week we will pick back up in verse 23 and continue that journey, believing that the Word of God is better than anything we can come up with. Um, so we just let the Word of God speak to us. This is the text that we find ourselves in. Well, the past couple of weeks we did have an opportunity to get away as a family. Um, it was a once-in-a-lifetime trip to upstate New York and then to inner-city New York. It really was a once-in-a-lifetime trip. I say that. For two reasons. Um, number one, it was a once-in-a-lifetime trip because 
it is, there's just a lot going on there, and there is a lot to do, and our family got to experience all of it. We jammed it all in there, right? So that's reason number one. Reason number two is a once-in-a-lifetime trip, because this brother right here ain't going back. <laughs> it is too fast. There's too much going on. Now, look, if, if New York City is your hometown, um, I don't mean that mean, but somebody needs to tell you that place is crazy, Okay. There's a lot going on there. And, uh, but anyways, as we were doing that, we've got a lot of awesome memories. And one thing happened that I think is a perfect setup for where this text is going to take us today. When we got there, when we left upstate New York, which by the way, upstate New York, you're like, I wasn't here for a ge geography lesson. Well, hang on for a second. Upstate New York is like you went to Coker and took a left. It is in it is farms and silos. They have more right to wear cowboy boots than we do, okay? It is, it is something. But then we took the drive, and we had to return our, <laughs> our car, and we had to uh, catch an Uber. This is the first time I've ever caught an Uber. And uh, me and Julie Beth caught an Uber. We left our kids in the hotel room, yes, in New York City. We left them there, all right? They're grown. They hang on. Um, we did lock the door, so we took it back, we grabbed the Uber, I get in there and have a conversation with this guy, and the conversation is awesome. It is fun, it is engaging. Um, he found out right off the bat that he's from Pakistan, and so that spawned a conversation because me and Julie Beth had attended a, a Pakistani wedding on accident about three weeks prior in Atlanta. That's a whole other story we don't have time for. Yeah, I know. And so I'm telling them about that and how the guy got a Range Rover and how there was this big show and all this kind of stuff. And he was telling me how it all worked. And so that conversation was great. And then we started talking about his hometown. It was great. Then we started talking about education. It was great. We started talking about what got him over here. It was great. We even started talking about religion. It was awesome. Then we started talking about God. It was, even that was great. Then we started talking about the Bible and the Quran and, and, and how it all fit together and all this kind of stuff. And it was great and it was awesome. So, of course, I'm like, here we go. <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't have a clue. He didn't ask me what I did for a living. I, <clears throat> um, and, and so we're sitting there and I'm like, well, what do you think about Jesus? And all of a sudden, when we start talking about Jesus, you can ask Julie Beth, everything started changing. The conversation wasn't exciting anymore. He wasn't that engaged anymore. The only thing he would say is he said, um, do you think Jesus is, the, is God or the Son of God? So that got into the whole conversation. I'm talking about Isaiah and Daniel. And it just shut down. The atmosphere in the car felt different. Now, he might have changed the air conditioner or something. But you know what I'm talking about. Everything changed. The whole dynamic changed. Why? Because Jesus' demands are harsh and they are strong and it causes people to tremble. When you bow to the Lord, you feel his greatness and goodness as Savior and Lord. But those that reject the Lord look at him and go, that's a crazy wild man. Why would anybody follow him? And that tension sits there and it, it festers and that's where we're going to find ourselves today. It's the perfect setup. Tyler Lee and Tyler LaFoy have taken us in chapter 8 all the way through Jesus' miracles. Jesus' miracles got everybody bumping. They are excited. Crowds are clapping. They're looking. David Blaine has got nothing on Jesus. 
They love him. They're gathered around. They're honed in. Look at this guy. He's doing miracles, all this kind of stuff. And today, Jesus is going to change the conversation. It's a stark contrast that we're going to find ourselves in. So in other words, as we've seen all the way through the text, Jesus' words are unique. His works are divine. His wisdom is superhuman. His tenderness is shocking. His power is fascinating. His love is baffling. His dominance is marvelous. His composure is compelling. His healing is captivating. But his demands, they're just wild. They're wild. And so today, we're going to see from Jesus' lips... That true Christians will indeed embrace earthly sacrifice to follow our eternal Savior. From the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Two people have now proverbially walked the aisle. A scribe and a disciple. And Jesus has met them and they're having conversation. Verse 18 says this. Let's look at it again. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. In other words, what I said just a minute ago, they love me while I'm a performer, but what did he do? He said, they love me in my performance, so what I'll do is I'll go to the other side. Will they follow me when the show's over? Which is the true sign of where we're at. Do you love him for his performance? But when the show's all over, do we still follow? And that's the call that Jesus does. So he gives orders to go over to the other side. Me and Julie Beth experienced this as well. Not this, you know what I'm saying. Um, one of my bucket list things in life has always been to go to a Yankees game. Well, it just so happened that the Yankees were playing the Red Sox while we were there, which is like double bucket list. And so we mortgaged our house, and we got tickets, and we did indeed go <laughs> to that game. Uh, well, one of the things when we left the game, which was right up Kobe's alley, there was a street performer. I think they call them themselves buskers. He was out there, and, and he was one of the guys that was playing the drums, but he had the buckets. And this guy had buckets, pots and pans, um, bells, and even had a, a bicycle pedal. And he would strike this bicycle pedal, and it would do this little weird thing. So he was just doing all this kind of stuff. Well, I'm in it, you know, right? Me. I'm bouncing. I don't even know how to bounce correctly, but I'm bouncing, you know. Everybody else is dancing. Everybody's getting into it, all this kind of stuff. Well, he ends his performance, and then he, he stands up and he grabs his bucket, his money bucket, and he kind of holds it like this. Well, an interesting thing happened. When he was doing his thing, everybody was in, they're leaning in, they're like, say, come here, look at this. But when he stops and holds up his bucket, everybody walked away. A few people threw a couple of coins in, but the vast majority just kind of walked away. Well, what we've happened here in this text, what's going on in this text is Jesus has done a bunch of stuff, the crowds are gathering around, they're looking, and Jesus doesn't reach up to hold a money bucket. What he does is say, I'm Lord and Savior, will you bow before me? And everybody walks away. The bolts. And that's what Jesus calls into question in this moment right here. He's going to call these two people that have followed him. Crowds are gathered around and only two come. And even those two, he's going to call into question why they came. That's the demands of Jesus that we're about to look at. So Jesus saw the crowd around him. He gave orders to go to the other side. Will they follow when the show 
is over. Verse 19, we encounter our first person, a scribe. He's a learner. He's a teacher. Um, he, he, he's, a, he's well-versed, okay? This guy doesn't know cute phrases like John 3.16. This guy can quote Leviticus, right? <laughs> this guy knows the law. He is a scribe. He is a learner. He comes up and he says, teacher. Number one, he's already got it wrong. He perceives Christ as just a teacher, just like him, just with more knowledge. He says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now that is a bold initial statement, isn't it? It's a bold initial statement. It's a bold claim. And this is indeed how many people do come to Jesus. There's that first initial just kind of bold claim. Now, I think there's two reasons that we can see in the text why he had this bold initial claim. Number one has to do with what we've already seen. I think that this is indeed an emotionally charged moment, right? The lights are flaring, proverbially. The smoke's going inside the sanctuary. People are bumping. It's emotionally charged. You know, people are feeling it. People are crying. I mean, this is, this is, it is, it is happening, okay? And in that emotional moment, he's caught, he described this teacher's caught up in this emotional moment. And he just goes, this is the happening thing. I'll follow you wherever you go. So there's this emotional charge thing. The energy of the crowd or service has hyped him up. And so he's really following not for Jesus, but because the hype has led him there. So there's this initial bold stance, what I think is reason number one. But then reason number two. And I think this is a little more subtle, but I think it is valid because of what Jesus says. There's some personal benefit in him following Jesus that he does not want to miss out on. What do I mean by that? If the show's going on and everybody's excited about the show, they're now following Jesus because he's the miracle worker, which means they're no longer listening to who? The scribes. So the scribes have lost their audience. Everybody used to look to them for the truth. But now Jesus pops on the scene. The crowds are following him. So in other words, it sounds a little bit like this. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, implication, because business is real bad right now. Because everybody's following you, and I want to be in where business is good. Now, why do I think that's true of what's going on in this text? Because of how Jesus answers him. He says, you want to follow me? Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But as the Son of Man, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Are you after me? Or are you after some applause or, or some following of the crowd or something that you can gain from me? Is kind of what's going on here in the text. In other words, I want to be where the attention is. I want to be in the in thing. Why? Because I want my needs to be met. And Jesus, you can meet my needs, but not in a spiritual sense, in a true earthly sense. And so verse 20, Jesus, again, why I think that proposed interpretation makes sense, is because Jesus says to him, this, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So in other words, you're coming to find gain from me, you're not coming to find me. It's demand. Another way that you could say it is this, 
you're only following me because you think I'm a means to an end, which is not true following. Or this, you don't know what I gave up to come here, and you're not willing to give up what it takes to get where I'm going. And Jesus calls this into question in his life. So four things I think we can learn from this section of Scripture. And they should pop up on the screen um, right below. Number one is this. Being a learner doesn't always mean that you're a Christian. That's that staunch demand. This guy was a learner. But there's a difference between what you've learned and your motive behind why you're learning. It's two totally different things. This scribe knew a lot of things, but the reason he worked so hard to find out things about the Lord via Old Testament Torah was because he thought in attempting to learn that somehow God's proverbial smile would turn on him because of his work of learning. His heart was still wrong. And so Jesus calls this into question. If your intent of learning is to gain God rather than your learning as a worship experience because God has already gained you, if that's the case, then it's all wrong. We learn about God, yes, out of worship. But not as a work to earn his favor towards us. So a learner doesn't always mean Christian. You may, in this room, know a lot about the Bible. But if you're knowing a lot about the Bible is just so at the end of the day you can say, I know a lot about the Bible, then good for you. You know a lot about the Bible, but you don't know Christ. You can quote it backwards and forwards. But if Jesus is not Lord, it means nothing. That's what Jesus is calling into this guy's question. So number one, as a learner doesn't always mean Christian. Number two... Following Christ requires more sacrifice and uncomfort than most people are willing to bargain for. We see that in this text as well. Jesus says something along these lines. Even the animals that I created have holes and twig nests. But as creator, I don't have any. I gave it all up expressing his humility, which is also seen in Philippians chapter 2. Double that with the fact that he says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Son of Man is a quote out of Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of heaven, and he's trying to describe it, which I think is what Revelation is all about, an attempt at describing what's going on. <clears throat> but he's looking at it, and, and he says, here's what I see. There's the Father, God, but there's also one that's like a... Um, He's like a son of man. But he, then he goes on to say, but that son of man has all the attributes of the father. And so he's describing him that way. And in this moment, Jesus says, I am the son of man. I'm the one beside the father who bears equality with the father and divinity with the father. We are one. He claims this. He uses son of man as a personal pronoun. But catch what he says. Even me... <laughs> who had angels bowing before me before I came here, who had angels singing my praise 24-7 before I came here, who owned the inheritance of all things that I in and of myself created, according to John chapter 1. I had it all. The one who knew no sin, I left it all. And even a fox has a hole, but I ain't got jack Greek. 
And so in this moment, he says, will you embrace that type of sacrifice in uncomfort to follow me? It requires great sacrifice. Here's, here's how it sounds in today's language. We say things like this. God, if you get me that condo, well, then I'll follow you. If you get me that job, Lord, then I'll follow you. If you get me that marriage or heal my marriage, then I'll follow you. If you let me make the team, I just want to make the team, and then I'll follow you. As a matter of fact, I'll put eye black under it with Philippians 4.13. If you get me my health, then I'll follow you. If you just let me pay the bills, then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. No qualifications. You follow me or you don't follow me. And we'll let the chips fall where they may. Number three, I think we can learn from this passage. The more Jesus falls out of fashion in Northport, and the more he messes with comfort, the more people you'll see fall away. I just think that's true. And so what I mean by that is this. Those who are following Jesus for the wrong reasons will always fall away. They always will. When push comes to shove... And, and I've been thinking about this really big this past couple of weeks because of a former brother, Joshua Harris. And so many of you guys are well aware of what's going on, going on with Joshua. Um, about 20 years ago, many of us were impacted in our dating lives <laughs> by a book that he wrote um, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Do you all remember that book? Joshua was a great, was a great brother. Um, wrote several books, pushed people. I would argue in that book always did that it was more fundamentalism than it was. But it had some good points as well. Nonetheless, he pushed people towards holiness. And he pushed people towards the pursuit of Christ. And in that, that is great and applause. As of two weeks ago, Joshua came out and said, I no longer follow Christ. Why? Because the applause of man had stopped. The book deals had quit coming. And in his effort to be loved by other people and to love other people well, at least he admitted it. He said, if I'm going to love in this way, this is not compatible with Christ. At least he took that to the logical end. And for the applause of man, he chose to reject following Christ. And that hurts and that stings. But it's just true. When comfort's taken away, will you continue to follow Christ? When the applause stops, will you continue to follow Christ? When the money's not there, when nothing is there, when the health goes away, will you follow Christ? And Jesus calls that into question. And let me put it on me now, lest you think I'm just taking stabs at Joshua. If I, Troy Nicholson... Step away and fall away from the faith in 20 years and abandon Christ. You have the right to look at me and go, you are a fraud and a shyster. You have that right. When Jesus says this, that demands strong. Strong. 
I think number four we can learn from this is this. Christians don't do Christianity to have our needs met, but to find the worth of Christ himself. In the words of Brandon Heath and Jimmy Needham, Christ is what Christ offers, period. That's the eternal joy of the hope of who he is. Our, our joy is not in what Christ possesses. Our joy is in what Christ is and who he is and what he's done. That's our joy. That's our, our hope. Let the whole world burn to hell. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word. If we gain Christ, let it be. It's not a stretch to say, welcome to my brain, that Jesus is the oyster and not the conch shell. And kind of what I was thinking through that is if you're walking down a beach and you see an oyster, oyster, you see one of those things that people eat the inside of laying there on the ocean. That's, they're ugly. Those things are some ugly things, okay? They're, they're weird looking. The only thing you would think about doing was picking it up and kind of skipping it. It would be a good rock skipping thing. You see that, but then you see a, a conch shell, and you walk up on that, and the first thought through your head is, oh, is there any chips on it? And imagine it's not broken at all, and you pick it up, and it is, that thing's shiny, and it's cool, and if it doesn't have one of them little animals in it with the things on it, you can grab it and blow it and do the whole thing. That is something, okay? And what Jesus is saying is, and I do think he said it, and I'll quote this to you, he said, I'm, I'm the oyster. I don't look like the conch shell, but I'm right. You say, where did he say that? Isaiah 53 says it this way. He was despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. He's as one from whom men hide their faces. He's despised. And we esteemed him not. But then there's the pearl inside. Surely he has bore our grief and carried our sorrow. That's his beauty. The cross is his beauty. Our hope rests here. Our hope doesn't rest in what he offers to fix our bank account, to fix our health, to fix our friendships, to fix our tires. I think I got one flat outside right now. He doesn't exist to be our magic lucky horseshoe or rabbit's foot. He exists to be God supreme, the one who came and offered his life as a substitution so that sinners can find reconciliation, so that our dirt can be washed away and be made white as snow, so that vagabond rebels who are cast away from the Father can be restored into a right relationship. He is what He offers alone. And He says, if you come to me for anything else, then you don't want me. And so the scribe, as far as we know, walks away. And then there was another person that walked the aisle. Another of the disciples, verse 21, said to him, and I don't know if he's in earshot distance, 
of this conversation. But notice he doesn't start off by saying, I'll follow you anywhere. He kind of says the opposite. Like he's already got a game plan because he knows this command is a little too harsh. And he goes, oh, hold up a second. <laughs> I walked the aisle, not sure I should have. I need an out. Let me go bury my dad. Right? Which may or may not be true. We don't, I, there's no reason to believe he was lying. But let me go bury my dad could mean one of two things. It could mean my dad's already dead. Or it could mean what? I'm going to go hang out with my dad. And when he dies, <laughs> I need to bury him. Okay? It could mean that as well. But another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus looked at him and didn't let him off the hook. And he said, here's my demand. You follow me now and you let the dead bury the dead. Strong demands. Astonishing words. Words that we would go, now Jesus, I love you. That's a little insensitive. You've got to be using hyperbole. And I don't think he's being insensitive, and I don't think he's using hyperbole. Why can I say that? Because he left his own father. He knows what it's like to leave the inheritance. Because you see, this guy wants to go bury his dead father because whether he's already dead or whether he's going to be dead, once he buries him, what is he going to get from his father? That inheritance. In other words, let me go bury my dad, get that inheritance, and then I'll figure out if you're worth following. You'll be a good plan B, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, I will be nobody's plan B. You follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury the dead. And I do think he means spiritually dead. Why? Because a dead person can't bury a dead person. So he says, let those who spiritually will not follow, let them take care of that stuff. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, if you're wanting to go get your stuff together to see if I'm worth it before you follow me, then you're not worthy to follow me. I'm not being insensitive. I, I know what it's like to be poor, and I know what it's like to be homeless, and I know what it's like to forego my inheritance, to do the will of the Father. And so the question simply is this. As a follower, are you willing to do the will of the Father at all costs, no matter the count? What can we learn from this section? Real fast. Just like learner doesn't always mean Christian follower, doesn't always mean Christian. Notice the word used for this guy. He was a what? Say it out loud. He was a disciple. Yeah, which means he was already a follower, but he wasn't a Christian. He followed, but was unwilling when the demands were too high. He walked away. This disciple drug his feet at the concept or the demand of being abandoned to himself for the cause of Christ. Number two, I think we can learn this. Following Jesus will always mean leaving something else you love. It will always mean that. Why? Because when Jesus comes in, he starts busting up idols in our lives. But first, he exposes those idols. He exposes them in my life all the time. My gosh, as I'm walking down through the Empire State Building, um, I'm looking around at all these buildings and going... 
what does it take to get here? And what is it, not that I want to go there, you know what I'm saying. What does it take to be able to build a building like this? And, it, and that starts seeping in of money and pride and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It just, it just kind of floods you, you know. You're like Times Square and there's just lights everywhere. And you see these people up there and, and you're like, man, I wish I looked like that GQ model. And it just, okay, maybe you don't do that. Maybe I'm the only twisted one, right? I'll be the one, okay? I, I, it just floods me. Like, that junk gets on me. And, and you realize that Jesus goes, man, all of this is worthless. Are you willing to leave what you love to follow me? His point is this. If you want life, quit worrying about dead man's bones and follow me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the life you're looking for. Follow me. John 14, 6. Number three, I think we can learn this. Following Christ means you can't continue to be all you were and just simply add him to your routine. He's not a side saddlebag. He is the driver and the moped simultaneously. He's all in all. And so what I typically do, and let's put it in terms of me, is I'll go, Jesus, I would love for you to join me in my planner, join me in my checkbook, join me in my stereo, join me in my TV watching, join me in my computer habits, join me in my job, join me at my home, join me in our dinners, join me in our hobbies, join me in my friendships, join me in my allegiances, join me in my politics. And Jesus says... <laughs> I don't want to join you. I want to take them over. Will you let me take them over and not your will but my will be done? That's the call. And if right now you're going, golly, that sounds like a really strong demand. I didn't say it. Jesus did. And it is strong demand. Number four, I think we can learn this from the text. Following Christ, and this is the last one, following Christ means that we aren't inclined towards him, but we're enamored by him. That's what following Christ looks like. <clears throat> if we just kind of are inclined towards him and go, ah, oh, all this stuff is metaphorical, he's just trying to make a point, he's just joking, then we'll just be play-it-safe Christians. We'll basically justify everything away and say, ah, he's just using hyperbole and we'll do that so we can maximize our flesh. That's what we'll do. I think what Jesus is saying is this. If you're not willing to drop all other treasures, then you'll never understand that I am the only true treasure. I think that's what he's getting at. One of the most encouraging times I see this at Safe Haven Church is when we roll the baptistry in here and people are getting baptized. I love that. I love it that, number one, people are getting baptized. But I love it when we do that and the story of whoever's getting baptized goes something like this. My family and friends don't understand why I'm doing this. And they have to work through that tension. And many of you guys in this room have been there, done that. <clears throat> 
And sometimes the family and friends will come anyway, but a lot of times they won't come. And in that conversation with that person, I always see the distraughtness, distraughtness is probably the word, the distraughtness on their face of, I wish they were here to celebrate, but they just don't understand. And that floods my soul with joy because I'm able to look at them and go, it's not about your friends and family. You have a heavenly father that's well pleased with your obedience in this moment. And they model this. I love that. Well, how can we know that all of this is worth it? We're going to get philosophical here for just one second. So hang in there with me. If Jesus is Lord, and he is, which means he understands earth and heaven in a way that we do not understand. okay. And if he's sovereign which means he understands purpose and meaning in a way that we don't understand, which he is. If he's Lord and sovereign, and he makes this claim and these demands, then by default, these claims and demands have to be for his highest glory and our highest good. Why? Because he said them. By default. So in other words... Jesus is not pointing us to be little legalists and fundamentalists. He's telling us what will lead us to the highest treasure and the highest worth, and that is found in relentlessly pursuing him above all other things. Jesus is not trying to be a cosmic killjoy. That's not his goal. He's not, he's not the person going, <laughs> going, turn your radio down, you're going to hurt your ears. That's, that's not who Jesus is. He's going, crank the radio up, make it thump. We, we ought to have more amps and bass and speakers than anybody else, and it ought to be blasting stuff that glorifies him for his glory and our good. We ought to throw parties better than anybody else and weddings better than anybody else and all of it be for his glory as we enjoy it. He's the lens through which we should see everything and it should not push us down, but it should amplify us more. We should have the best block parties in all of Northport and invite me to it. I want to come. You ought to get water slides. You ought to have, and that little crew back there in the back, they do this all the time. You ought to cook ribs. You ought to, you ought to do it, man. Do it. And in doing it, point people to the greatest good, Jesus. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He just wants you to know that in all the things we do, make him first and foremost. So to wrap it up, Christ is not safe. <laughs> He is not negotiable. But oh, church, he's worth it because he's Lord. Who compares to this person? Psalm 89, verse 6. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? He's a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the Holy One. He's awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord of hosts, who is as mighty as you are? 
with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you can steal them. You scatter your enemies with your mighty arm. Even the heavens. <laughs> the heavens are yours and the, the earth is also yours. The world and all that's in it, you've founded them. The north and the south, you've created. Tabor and Herman joyously praise your name. You've got a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all day long. And in your righteousness are exalted, for you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord. You are the King, the Holy One of Israel. That's who we follow. He's no petty savior. He's the Lord Almighty. Paul got this. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Paul said it in a way that probably would come out of my mouth. Other than the whole inspired thing. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And here's what he says. I love this. And I count all those things as rubbish. Y'all know what that word rubbish means? Dung. There's another word for it, but I'm not going to say it here. Because we're recording it. I count everything else as in order that I might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, not what he offers, but know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Ben, come on back up. Well, church, in the Bible, it's Jesus that's being offered to you. It's Jesus that's being offered to us. If we think anything else, we've missed the point of the Holy Scriptures. We gather today as a church not to check out each other's clothes, and see what we want to buy, Not to get in holy little cliques and holy huddles. Not to be pumped up and amped up. <laughs> we gather to Sabbath rest in Jesus. To be enamored by him. To contemplate his call. And to contemplate, am I willing to abandon my life to his demands that's the call today unbeliever are you willing to trade in your life of rubbish for his holiness
do so today. I plead with you. The gospel message is clear. We are sinners. We're tainted. There's no way we can get back to the Father. We, we can't do enough. We can't follow enough. We, we can't do enough works to get there enough. And because there was no way that we could get back to heaven, heaven came to us. And Christ lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He lived the life that we wouldn't live. He never flawed. He never strayed. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament law. He fulfilled all the Father's wishes. He never said, Father, come alongside. He said, not my will, but your will be done every time. He did it. He did everything we could not do. And then the great ransom was covered and the substitution was offered. And he said this. All those who bend the knee to me as Lord and Savior who call on my name, I will, not might, I will save them. If you're an unbeliever today, will you call upon the name of the Lord? Today he stands and offers himself. The cross is before us. Will you trust in him? Will you let him overcome your resistance? And then believer. <laughs> believer. Press on in the faith. Press on. It's worth it. It's worth it. Jesus. We come before you today, bowing at your text, and God, there's, there's, this, it just is, this is one of those texts that calls us to contemplate all things, both justification and sanctification, and, and God is, is as robust theologians, we know that both our justification and sanctification has nothing to do with us. The only reason our resistance is only over, ever overcome is because you overcome it. Our faith is not our own, according to Ephesians 2. It's grace. Even our faith is a gift from you and so God, as believers, we rest in that fact, and I, and I pray today that nonetheless, your text does its effect and calls us to examine things in our lives that we need to let go of, areas of our lives that we still hold on to, and dead bones that we still hold in our hands that you're calling us to drop. May Safe Haven Church drop the dead bones. And then simultaneously, Lord, we know that there's unbelievers in this room who are wrestling, going, but I'm trying to do it, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to da 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 all this kind of stuff. Oh God, that they would, they would forget all that and just come to you humbly and say, all of me I give to all of you. Lord, would you save people today? Call rebel children home.
Holy Spirit, do your work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand up?